0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. So today, uh, we're going to conclude the trilogy of themes that is the beginning of the season of Epiphany. The season of Epiphany begins with our Lord Jesus Christ's um, visit uh, from the Magi as he was an infant living with mary and joseph still in bethlehem before they had moved back to nazareth it continues with the first sunday in um in the octave of epiphany where jesus is now living with them in nazareth and uh, we heard that uh, last sunday when he goes to the temple for the first time as a 12 year old but then on the octave of epiphany we celebrate the baptism of our lord Now the themes of the visit of the Magi and the baptism of our Lord are very tightly joined together in all of the propers for the Feast of Epiphany. Why is that? Well, it's because uh, in the visit of the Magi, God is proclaimed not just to the house of Israel, but now to the whole world. Before Pentecost ever happened and the Holy Spirit descends on the church and the disciples go out into the world, the world comes to Christ. The world comes from afar, following the signs in the heavens from the God who is over all of the world, and they seek out this new king whose uh, birth is heralded by the very stars of heaven. And so the world is now at the um, in the presence of Jesus, kneeling down, bringing gifts that indicate his kingship by the gold that was given, his humanity by the myrrh that was given, which is uh, something that is used in embalming, indicating his uh, humanity and the death that he was willing to undergo, but also his divinity in the incense, the frankincense that was given to him, which is of course only offered uh, to deities and to God. And so here in this moment, king, man, and God are um, all indicated by the gifts of the Magi who, In kneeling, reverence Jesus Christ held on the knees of his mother as she presents him before them as if to say, Behold my son. In the baptism, something happens similarly in that when Jesus goes into the water in order to sanctify the water, we talked a little bit about how his sanctification of the water creates for us the new rite of baptism to replace the old rite of circumcision, which we celebrated on the octave day of Christmas, when he comes up from the water, what do people hear but the voice of God saying the same thing? Instead of his mother this time, it's his father saying, behold my son in whom I am well pleased. So those two events are very, very um, intricately linked. Actually, I, I did a podcast with Father Patrick Cardine up in uh, Virginia talking about the themes of epiphany, and he pointed out how even more uh, spectacularly is baptism linked to the birth of Jesus in that when Jesus is born, he creates for us the possibility of new birth, and in baptism, we join in with his new birth. The themes of Christmas and epiphany just flow into each other. It's this whole web of interconnected glory. I love it so much, but what does today's theme, the Marriage at Cana and Jesus turning water into wine have to do with all of that. Well, it is kind of a pivot point for us in this season. You'll notice that instead of white, like we've had basically since Christmas, our liturgical color today has changed to green. And so we're pivoting. Something's happening today that's taking us out of a liturgical season of Christmastide and the Epiphany octave. Now we're shifting gears a bit. But today's theme, the marriage at Cana, is also one of the three things mentioned in all of the propers for the Feast of Epiphany. So clearly, it belongs with Epiphany and its octave. And so it's this very interesting day. It's almost like a hinge. So we're changing, but we're staying the same. So what, what is it that joins this to the other things, but also starts sending us off into a new direction? Let's cover what joins it with the other Epiphany things first. We also have in this story of Jesus at the wedding, Mary featured heavily, right? Just like she was featured in the um, epiphany when she is there presenting Jesus to the world, she is now here presenting Jesus to those in need at a wedding feast. The The running out of wine at a wedding is obviously uh, in bad form today <laughs> if guests show up and are expecting uh, you know, to, to imbibe throughout the, the party. But in, in those days, it was even more of a faux pas. It was a serious um, cultural faux pas, big no-no, very embarrassing, uh, the kind of thing that lives as a shadow over the head of the family for years to come. Jesus, knowing this and fully participating in the levity, the joy of this party, understands not just that, you know, for the party to go on like it has been We need some good wine still, but also knowing the need of the family. But also, more broadly than that, he knows that he wants to bless marriage in particular. Him showing up to this is like him going into the waters. When he sanctifies the waters for us by going into it, he sanctifies marriage for us by attending this wedding. And so he is presented by his mother once again, playing this active role in the story. And of course, The miracle itself is a manifestation of his glory. St. John says it right here in the scripture. Um, After he does this miracle, St. John says that this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So this is another manifestation, another epiphany of the glory of God. That's how it's tied in and linked with the visit of the Magi and his baptism in the Jordan. But how is it different? How does this story take us out of the Epiphany uh, octave and into the green of the Epiphany season? Well, Jesus is no longer passively being presented. He's not an infant being held by his mother, and he's not um, just being baptized, right, by John. So his mother is doing something for him, and the Magi are doing something to him in the first of these stories and john the baptist is doing something for him and his father is doing something for him as well presenting him but in this story after his mother presents him he does something he actually begins his signs and wonders so this is why it's a pivot point today jesus is beginning today his active ministry this is the first thing that he does he begins working signs, and he begins teaching. And we'll see from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday after this, we see miracles and teachings from our Lord. Now, if you pay attention to the propers today and in the Sundays following, you'll also see links to the broader themes of Epiphany because we are starting to count Sundays now from Epiphany. So they're all linked back. There's still a continuity. But now we're launching off into what we call the Sundays per annum, in the year, for the year. And so today, in this miracle, we see Jesus revealing something about his character that we haven't seen before. It's still a revelation of his glory and his divinity, and his power, but it's also a revelation of his character, who he is. We saw a little bit about this last Sunday when uh, at the finding of Jesus in the temple. But today we see him showing that he is the God of goodness. This is not an angry God. This is not like um, uh, who was the, the early heretic who thought there's this angry God of the New Testament and, and God um, revealed in Jesus Christ must be a different God. He thought they were literally different gods and so they, they can't be the same because he thought the Old Testament God was angry. He was always getting on to Israel and, and smiting people and stuff. No. God the Father working throughout the Old Testament was right there with God the Son working throughout the Old Testament. We recognize the Son, the Word of God, all throughout the Old Testament, and that Son is now incarnate and showing himself to have the same character all throughout the Scriptures. But in a, in a story like this, we see it, I mean, just up close and personal. This is a God who wants our good. This is a God who desires our happiness, not just our ultimate salvation as even through the fire. <laughs> he wants us to be whole and well and thriving now. He wants us to have parties. He showed up to one and participated. I'm assuming he sang and danced like everyone else. He drank the wine until it ran out, and then he made new wine, better wine. So all the Dionysian ideas of the Greeks and, and, and the, the pagans who knew that there had to be gods of jollity and, and happiness and And levity. They knew that somehow divinity had to bless this crucial aspect of life. But here we see that it's the one God himself incarnate who is the fulfillment of all of the skewed Dionysian dreams. This is the true Dionysius. This is the true Bacchus. This is the true God who blesses goodness and joy. And so This aspect of his revelation is really important to keep in mind as we move into the next few Sundays where we see him encountering brokenness and pain and trial. And the God who makes wine to gladden the hearts of men is the same God who goes out into the world and encounters people in their filth, in their misery, in their despair and desperation. This is the God who like the woman in the story, will not f- stop searching the house until she finds that one last valuable thing that she was looking for. This is the God who will see will search us out. And all the way through the rest of the season of Epiphany, we lead up to the conclusion of that search of God. As he goes out into first Jerusalem and then to G- uh, Judea, but also into Samaria and he's starting to smudge the borders and show his disciples, look, this is meant to go beyond just what you thought it was for, this, this one geographical location, this one people. This is meant for the whole world, for all of creation, in fact, which is why so much of the Epiphany propers talk about the whole world, God is over all the earth and all the earth is coming to worship him. The God who goes out into all the world will have to go under the world as well. And in order to do that, he has to go to the cross. He has to leave his father in heaven and leave his mother on the earth as he climbs up to the cross. He gives his mother away. You see, this mother who has been presenting him, he now presents her to John, his disciple, and says, behold, your son, John, behold, your mother. And he leaves God. He had already emptied himself through kenosis, by the incarnation, but even on the cross, what does he say? My God, why have you forsaken me? Where did you go? Why are you gone? And now Christ on the cross is leaving father and mother, just like God said that man would do in Genesis. Man will leave his father and mother to be joined with who? His bride. So at this wedding in Cana, Jesus already knows, he already has in his mind, his, his wedding, his true <laughs> marriage in unification with his bride, the church, in which he presented naked before her, opens his side like Adam so that she can flow forth. Then he descends to the bottom of all creation in order to, like a strong man, get under the load and lift it all back up. He descends into Hades and he empties it. And then he rises back up to heaven, bringing captivity captive and sits on his throne. And get this. What we see today in the story of this party, the wedding, that's just a foretaste. That's just him showing that he is interested in this, because at his own wedding, the party is going to be, as described in Revelation, the wedding banquet of the Lamb, in which all of his church, his bride, enjoys the, the feast, the true feast, which is his very life in the new creation. So, Today is packed with good things in our scriptures, but also here at the altar. Jesus changing water into wine in this story is nothing compared to Jesus changing wine into his blood. And that's exactly what we will experience today because of the same character trait of God, his goodness and his desire that we live well. So as we move toward that foretaste of the great heavenly banquet today at this altar rail. Let's go back from this altar rail to our pews and then through those doors, keeping in mind all of the practical things that St. Paul gives us in the epistle today, instructions on how to live, how to live as members of the body of Christ as his bride going out into the world and inviting people in, like the servants of the great king in the other parable, inviting other people in to come join the feast, join the banquet. How we live in this world and how we bring other people in is, it's going to be following the pattern of Jesus leaving this wedding and beginning his ministry. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.